Hello, Misfits. This is Kate. And this is Kevin. Welcome to Horrorwood. And we're off. We're back with those Brandos. Brandos. It's part two of the murder at Marlon Brando's mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, we must address the fact that it is September. September. Oh Spooky my gosh, the season. deadline for the Patreon has passed. Has passed. So <laughs> we are getting those gifts ready. <laughs> the gifts. Whoop, whoop, whoop. So yeah, that's exciting. It's spooky season in my book, even though it is 96 degrees outside here. And it's pre-October, and it's just, everything is just, it just feels right. Spooky stuff is popping It feels good. Yes. I like it. Uh, I got a, so we were just talking about our coffees, because once again, Kevin has a pumpkin coffee. I'm always going to have, from now until probably end of November, I'm going to have a pumpkin coffee. I like that for you, actually. Honestly, I'm not against, I just personally don't like it, but everyone out there that does, drink your fucking PSLs and live your best life. So I actually, I'll go to Starbucks on my birth, my actual birthday, and I get a giant actual pumpkin spice latte. Because your birthday's in the fall, and that's that's perfect timing for you. I think it's on, it's on, um... Thanksgiving this year. Oh, wow. Do you like that or dislike that? I don't mind it. I feel like it's a holiday that doesn't really, like, you can combine them. You can have a really big, nice dinner and celebrate a birthday. Okay. It's hard to go out, though, because things are closed. Yeah, exactly. Well, shit. I'll just drink at home. But you could continue the celebration for the following weekend. Yeah. Or the next day. Yeah. Which is the day? That's like a, that's like the shopping day, right? Black Friday? Yeah. Ah. 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 Ah, he says. Before we start talking about this horrible case, I forgot to mention the passing of Clarence Avant. He was a music executive. He was known as the black, or I'm sorry, the godfather of black music. Oh, wow. And we covered the murder case of his wife, Jacqueline Avant, a while back. I remember that. Yes. And uh, he passed on August 13th. Uh, he oh, was no. He was in his 90s. I mean, he lived a full life. Okay. But I meant to mention that when that occurred and forgot, but one of our Patronians, Katrina, reminded me. So thank you for doing that. And also Jimmy Buffett. That was really sad. So my sister and brother-in-law are huge parrot heads, which is what his like fans are called. I've been to concerts with them. They've probably been to no less than 20. I know. Whoa. They've been, following him around ever since they've been together and they've been together for decades. And that was just, that was so sad. He died of skin cancer. Oh no. Horrible, horrible, horrible. So that is really, my aunt passed away from from, skin cancer. Not Well, she, it, her, she had cancer. It started with skin cancer. Um, and then she ended up with breast cancer 
and then ended up with brain cancer. It just it like just, spread it just, and took it's over. Awful. Oh that's my god, awful. I'm sorry. Well, no, thank you. And I'm that's uh, I mean that's really sad about Jimmy Buffett as well. Yeah, it's and he had an album that was supposed to come out later no. this year, and he was just like one of those guys who was just like. Let's all just be kind and have a good time. We and need more of those people. Yes. Unfortunately, the Brandos are not those people. Oh, Kate, I'm just sitting here remembering everything you told me last time and how awful and ridiculous it was. Yeah. So when we last left Someone you. Someone got killed. Dag Drolet. Dag Drolet. Christian Brando and his younger half-sister, Cheyenne, had gone out to dinner mm. just to catch everyone up. That's where Cheyenne told Christian that her baby daddy, Dag Drolet, was physically abusive toward her. Christian, who was highly intoxicated at the time, returned with Cheyenne to his dad, Marlon Brando's house, where they were all staying, grabbed a 45 caliber handgun, and burst into the den where Dag was just chilling watching TV. Christian confronted him and claimed he only used the gun to scare Dag. But Dag reached for the weapon, the two men struggled, and the gun went off, shooting Dag in the face and killing him instantly. This is Christian's claim. Everyone in the house heard the shot and ran into the den, and Marlon immediately took control of the situation. When Marlon saw Dag, he rushed over to him and felt for a pulse. He said Dag did have a pulse, and so he began administering CPR, and he called 911. Christian wanted to flee the scene he was like i think the lift i ordered is here gotta <laughs> go and marlon was like mm, i don't think so maybe and stay maybe just kind of hang tight he managed to talk him out of leaving because fleeing the scene was not going to do him any favors here no. the fire department arrived first then the police and it was marlon who answered the door and brought them into the house Christian and Cheyenne were sitting on the floor next to each other in the living room, and Christian had his arm around Cheyenne trying to comfort her. What a crazy thing for those police officers and firemen to just, like, Marlon Brando answers the door, and he's yeah. like, hey, fellas. And I think that they had some trouble getting into the gate, because I think I mentioned it in part one. He has, like, an iron gate all oh, around yeah, the property. It's not easy to get in there. So there was some difficulty there. I think he probably had to be the one to answer the door because he's probably the only one who, who knew how to. can open the damn yeah. gate. So when the police found Christian and Cheyenne mm -hmm. in the living room, they immediately separated them and placed Christian in handcuffs. Officer Steve Cunningham was the first cop on the scene and said that Christian was very talkative with authorities, just couldn't stop talking, 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 talking. Red flag. Christian said, I shot him, man, but not on purpose. We were both in a fit of rage. The gun went off. Please believe me, man. I wouldn't do it in my father's house. Again, I'm thinking of Chicago. They I was just going to say gun, that. The gun, the gun, the gun, I was gun. literally going to say that. <laughs> he told Officer Cunningham that the two of them had struggled for the gun and Dag, quote, went nuts. Christian was taken to the Hollywood police station and interviewed by Detective Steve Oste. Christian was still very drunk at this point, and the more he talked, God, the more so he incriminated up. himself. Yeah, no shit. And he was kind of all over the place with what he was saying. Christian stated, quote, I did it because he hurt my sister. He was laying on the couch. He was fighting with my sister. I said, you leave my sister alone. We were both in a rage. The fucking gun went off. Later in that same interview, you pulled the trigger, dear. I I mean, you just showed me. I know we're going to talk about the crime scene, right? But yeah, we'll get there. 
Later in that same interview, he told the other officer, Officer Cunningham, that he didn't like Dag and said, quote, man, death is too good for the guy. So he really wasn't helping his case. I wish you all could see what Kevin is doing Jesus Christ. Arrest him. Case closed. They're all a bunch of bitches. Like, it's ridiculous. Wow, you really went there. Before authorities removed Dag's body from the home, Marlon asked them to unzip the body bag so he could kiss Dag goodbye. On the lips? I doubt it. He said, quote, well, actually, I mean, who knows? He said, quote, as much as it may not be believed, I loved Dag. He was the father of my grandchild. But he doesn't give a shit about any of his kids. See, yeah, so what that. leads me to give a shit about the husband of one of his kids who he doesn't like in the first place and she acted out because he treated her like shit. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm just I'm out. I don't <laughs> well, I, I need, don't believe I don't believe any of this case. I need to pull you back in because we've got a long story to tell. I know, here. I know, I know. I'm sorry. <sighs> give me a second. I need my PSO. Oh my god. Since you're taking a sip, so will I. FYI, this is a tiramisu latte. Holy shit, that sounds delicious. It actually is. is it good? So yeah. So Foxtrot, I don't know if you have like their app downloaded. No, I just went for the first time okay, Thursday. You should download the app and become a member because okay. it's free. Every month you get a free drink. Eat shit. What? I don't yeah. know why I said that. <laughs> did you just that, say eat shit? I did, but <laughs> I will not. Don't, Kate. I'm sorry. I don't mean that as a drug. That was just a surprise <laughs> thing I yelled. And here's the thing. I've had this app for like a couple of years now. And you haven't noticed. Never took advantage <laughs> of the free drink, but there was something I wanted to get today to send to my family back yeah. in Kentucky. And it was Chicago style hot dog potato chips. Anyway. At Foxtrot? Yeah, okay. Foxtrot. I have to go back. You do. They're limited editions. So you need to get them, but we're going to have them at our book party tomorrow. Oh, so. Oh. Yeah. I went up to the counter. I was like, I think I have a free drink. And mm. she was like, okay, yeah, just scan the thing. And I did. And boom, shakalaka. Here it is. Tiramisu latte. Thank you very much. Kate's drinking the latte. And it, she looks like she's really enjoying it. I am. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of this, we're both talking a mile a minute, like, yeah, but I can tell it's definitely full of sugar because <laughs> as soon as I took a sip, I was like, woo! Woo! But back to this case. Yes. It was six hours before Marlon called Dag's family in Tahiti to break the news about their son. Six hours feels like a long time to me. But I mean, but I, me. I can get that if he, I mean, there's a lot going on. Sure. He wanted to be the one to tell them because he had been close with the Drolets. But I by the time that. he called, well, no, remember, their families were both very prominent. Oh, Tahiti. that's right. Sorry. Yeah. So I just think Marlon Brando doesn't care about anyone else but himself. I do think he cared. I just don't think he had the capacity to show it. Yeah. And I think he was also a very troubled man. Mm. I, it, it's very complex. By the time Marlon called them, however, they already knew. Oh, no. News. The TV show Hard Copy. What? So, like... Not even the news. This highly sensationalized tabloid TV show got to Dag's family first. That's unfortunate. That's how they found out their son had been killed. That should never happen. When was this? This is the 80s? This was 1990. 90s. Oh, well, even worse. How's the 90s worse than the 80s? (laughs) I mean, when it comes to this ethical stuff, you know, like... I'm sure nowadays, well, maybe not even nowadays. Not even now because happen. remember when Kobe Bryant's when Kobe helicopter Bryant, yeah. crashed? Yeah. News organizations. 
If you are listening, the right thing to do is to make sure everyone important already knows. Yes, and that you're not the one and notifying that you're not them. the one. Like, break the news, yeah, but you've got to understand that these are people's lives. But did you ever watch Hard Copy? You would have been I think pretty so. young. It's very... I feel like it was something my mom was really into because yeah. she liked her star magazine. Yes, and... this was a very gossipy show, yeah. and... That's just not the way any family should find out no. that they've lost their loved one. He'd only been in the States for 10 days. <sighs> not only would his yet-to-be-born son grow up without his father, but Dag also had a five-year-old daughter by another woman at the time of his death, so that's two children whose father was taken from them. That night, Marlon called his good friend, attorney William Kunzler, telling him, quote, the messenger of misery has visited my house. Very theatrical. Oh, my God. Kunstler helped deal with the press in the early days of the tragedy, but advised Marlon to hire Robert Shapiro. And if that oh. name sounds familiar, he would later be part of O.J. Simpson's yeah. defense team. Kunstler sounds familiar, too. Have we talked about him? We haven't. Uh, he was a civil rights attorney. He wasn't really uh, an attorney for these kind of cases, sure. but because he was good friends with Marlon, and Marlon, like I said, controlled this whole situation. Right. and I'm sure he was just giving advice. So he was hiring people left and right. Uh, also, I just found out while I was researching this, Robert Shapiro co-founded LegalZoom. What? what? Right? That's amazing. I was like, huh. I mean, I have some mixed feelings about Robert Shapiro, but I have used LegalZoom. I was so going to say. I do yeah. feel, I feel torn about it, but I've stopped using LegalZoom because it's oh. very expensive and oh. they will rob you of all your money. This episode is not sponsored by LegalZoom. Deputy District Attorney Steve Barshop was assigned to the case, which if that name sounds familiar to you, he was the district attorney in the case against John Sweeney for the murder of Dominique Dunn. Oh, Yeah. Christian was held on suspicion of murder and later formally charged with murder along with weapons violations because inside the house, in addition to the gun used to kill Dag, officers recovered a shotgun, a 44 caliber carbine, and two unregistered fully automatic firearms, an Uzi submachine gun, and an M14 rifle. <sighs> Which were illegal to own. Well, and what wasn't Christian like a gun collector? Yes. Like uh, he started that. I remember he started that at a young age because no one was paying attention to him. Well, after he was kidnapped at the age of 13 oh, that's right. by his own mother, he was afraid he was going to be taken again. So, so that's he when he started himself. collecting firearms. Christian's bail was set at $10 million, which was unusually high, even for a case like this. And even Marlon Brando didn't have that kind of money just lying around. That surprises me. It's a real misnomer because we think of celebrities who, you know, are big movie stars. Oh, they have a ton of money. But the thing is, they don't necessarily have access to that money right away. And they don't have as much as people think they do. Really? Yeah. A lot of it is acquired from different things, especially now, like a lot of it's required from real estate and sure. different things like that. Oh, because so, they always say their net worth. It's yes. not necessarily like how much money they have on hand. Exactly. Okay, that's just me having weird ideas about Hollywood. No, I think that's the majority of the population 
has that idea is, oh, they're movie stars, they're super rich, which yes, a lot of them are compared to, you know, the average Joe, but, or the average or people Jane. employed by Netflix right now. Mm. Have you been seeing those no. videos? Um, there have been a few cast members from Orange is the New Black who've showed their, uh, uh, what's it called, the royalties uh-huh. after it sure. like starts airing and depending on how many people have viewed the episodes pennies oh yeah that's pennies a, on the dollar that's what the strikes are happening like right, the right, WGA right. and SAG because right. people think that those performers the actual creators of these projects are making bank not at all and in today's streaming world they're not getting jack shit Anything. because the studios are just like it's all sucking for up us. all the money that's so gross it is good for them for who for the <laughs> actors oh my god I'm actually pro big business. (laughs) I am pro greed. No, not really. Not at all. The police report states that Dag was shot at a 45 degree downward angle just below his left cheekbone and the bullet exited out his neck and that his face was about an inch away from the gun when it fired. The L.A. coroner's office determined that Dag's cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head and neck. Marlon Brando hired a private forensic pathologist to conduct his own autopsy because he hoped for results that would support Christian's claims of the shooting being accidental, resulting from a struggle. Mainly, he wanted them to look at the angle that the bullet entered Dag because based on the police report and that original autopsy, the gun would have had to have been fired from above with Christian standing over him because... Dag was on the couch, as opposed to it being fired on a more even plane. The results of that second autopsy were not made available. So that tells you something. Dag's family traveled from Tahiti to Los Angeles and asked to see Marlon, but Marlon refused. Why? It's never stated why, but I think we can draw our own conclusions. Because he knew that Christian killed him. I'm going to sit over here with no comment. Dag's stepfather, Albert Lakai, said that they had basically accepted that it was an accident. They just wanted to talk to Marlon. Their families had known each other a long time. They wanted to see where Dag had been, gather his things, hear about his final days. Normal things that you would want if you lost a loved one. Mm -hmm. But when Marlon refused to see them, they were like, oh, this was no accident. Brando had his lawyer contact them later and Lakai said quote by then we knew better how it happened and did not want to see him mm, yikes the media was all over the case the press set up camp outside Marlin's gated home helicopters circled overhead some reporters even went digging through neighbor Jack Nicholson's trash oh. Not sure what they were going to find in there or what they thought they might find. I feel like it was just an excuse to go digging through Jack Nicholson's Nicholson's trash. trash. (laughs) It was a circus. (laughs) Nicholson. All they found was coffee coffee grounds and some fan mail. Which, Jack, don't throw out your fan mail. That's mean. Christian maintained the gun went off accidentally during this struggle. However, investigators found no signs of a struggle in the den. Mm Mm-mm. But Marlon said he'd given Dag CPR, which if he'd done so properly, meant he would have had to move the body to the floor so he could be on a hard surface. 
but Dag was found lying back on the couch. So either Marlon didn't attempt CPR or just didn't know how best to administer it. It also means we'll never really know exactly how Dag was positioned at the time he was shot. Some say he was sitting up and therefore was, you know, there was this struggle. But if he was lying back, there was no struggle. He was lying back watching TV. Yeah. Have you ever had to give CPR, Kate? No, but I've taken the class when we worked at that theater. Yeah, I took the classes too when I worked for Equity. Did you have to give someone CPR? No, I never did. The only time I ever tried to give CPR was when I was a little kid. And and they were not having any problems breathing and you just wanted to give CPR? No, no, no. (laughs) My bunny died. (gasps) Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't joke about it. (laughs) No, it's okay, (laughs) I'm an asshole. No, you're not. My bunny died and I took, I didn't know what to do. So I took it out of the cage and I couldn't, I, I had like a, like a McDonald's play set or something. And I took like a tube from that and I tried to like put it over the bunny's face and blow into it, but it was dead. That makes me so sad. Poor baby. I buried him out front. There are so many animals buried in the yard in the house I grew up in. (sighs) Just think about like all the family pets buried in in people's neighborhoods. Just all over the world. Just a lot of dead animals. That's a conversation for another time. So we don't really know how Dag was positioned. What we do know is that in one hand, he was holding the TV remote. And in the other hand, he had a cigarette lighter, as well as tobacco papers in a tobacco pouch. Mm -hmm. I feel like if someone has a gun to your head... And you reach for it, as Christian claimed Dag did, you're going to drop whatever your hand is holding so you can grab the gun. If there was a struggle, why would he hold on to the remote and right. the tobacco and the lighter? Drop, like, he would drop it. So Christian, if you remember from part one, said that he turned to leave the room, but yeah. his arm was still outstretched towards Dag, which why is your arm still outstretched if you're leaving the room? But okay, okay, Christian. Then as Dag... If that is the case, Mm -hmm. I'm going to immediately drop what's in my hands and try to knock that gun out of Christians. But if he didn't have time to do any of that, if he was taken by surprise and he was just watching TV and Christian just walked up to him and went, boom. I think that's exactly what happened. I don't think you can convince me otherwise. Well, let's see if the court felt the same way. Boo! I hope so. Los Angeles Fire Captain Tom Jefferson was the first official to walk into the den and look at the scene. And he said when he did, the TV was flipping through the channels because Dag's thumb was still pushing buttons on the remote. How fucking eerie is that? I don't like that. I showed Kevin the crime scene photo right Mm -hmm. before we hit record. What a way to start the day. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, technically you started it with a pumpkin coffee, so I think you're okay. I'm good. I'm good. Pumpkin then murder. That's what I always say. That needs to be on a sticker. (laughs) The scene just wasn't matching up to what Christian was trying to claim. Of course it wasn't. (laughs) This crime scene photo, which I'm not going to post, but it's not hard to find, shows Dag lying on the couch so he's in his boxers and in part one I think I mentioned it was a bathrobe it's more like a the a pajama top mm-hmm. and it looks as though especially because his thumb is still on the button changing channels it looks as though that's just how he was when he was yeah it looks like he just slumped to the left after he got shot in the face yeah. at close range and he was shot in the left just under his left cheekbone 
There are conflicting reports. Like, mm. I, I don't know if I mentioned this already, that some say he was shot in the back of the head, which would help the prosecution's case. But there's nothing. If, if he was shot in the back of the head, he would have fallen forward. Right. He would not fall back unless Marlon moved and him And wouldn't there be blood out the front? Like, or well, not necessarily? Also, that's another thing that's weird is that if he were shot in the back of the head, for that to be plausible, Dag would have had to been sitting up and Christian would have had to duck down to shoot him at an upward angle so that the bullet would go through the back of the neck and out the cheekbone. Yeah, right. That did not happen. Nope. It's weird that that was even brought up because that was to help the prosecution's case. But again, there's nothing verifying that. And we have the autopsy report and the police right. report. So okay. he was shot at a downward angle. At close range. At close range in, in the, the face. Cheek. Christian's story really took a hit when Cheyenne herself gave a statement to police saying, quote, the shooting was not an accident like everyone's trying to make it out to be. It's a murder, in case you didn't know it. She went as far to say that Christian had spoken several times about killing Dag. So she's just throwing her brother under the bus. But isn't she also going through some shit right now? Yes, she she is having a lot of trouble with her mental health. Right. She's been dealing with that. She had that car accident. Her and Dag were on the outs. She's very pregnant. I'm not discounting what she's saying, but like... Well, with his story, it sounds like she was telling him about abuse that she suffered at Dag's hands, and that's what threw him into a rage, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds like what you're saying is she had been telling him for a while that this stuff was happening, if he hated him so much, right? Or no? Supposedly, she only told him this at dinner right. the night of the his night of. And the, But then, he, like it, in this scenario, he's harboring hatred against Dag for a while, which is why we don't know if we can necessarily believe anything that Cheyenne says. Cheyenne says. Oh, man. Come on, Cheyenne. But I mean, I also wonder about, I'm not victim blaming here, but the abuse. Do we know if she was actually being abused by Dag? We'll find out in a little later. We will. You? In the episode. Mm -hmm. we'll, sorry. <laughs> will we? <laughs> we? Will we? <laughs> we will find that out. Okay. Her statement supported authorities' belief that the killing was intentional. And to answer your question from last week of was she in the room when it happened? No, she was not. Oh, okay. Christian and Dag were the only ones in the den and Marlon, Cheyenne, and Cheyenne's mother, Tarita, were in other rooms of the house. No one else was home. And that's all according to police Lieutenant Ron Hall. So she didn't see the killing with her own eyes, but her statement was enough for prosecutors to try to serve her papers as a material witness. Because when someone tells you, hey, this wasn't an accident, it was murder... You're going to want to have them come in. However, Marlon Brando was like, whoa, girl, whoa, Cheyenne, slow your roll. Uh, you know what? I think you should fly back to Tahiti ASAP because you clearly need to be receiving psychiatric treatment in a hospital. You know what? I'll go ahead and arrange that. Bye. Um, there are plenty of psychiatric facilities around the area where they were, I'm sure. And it's weird because that was, that was the whole reason she was in L.A. in the first place. Because remember, he didn't trust yeah. hospitals in Tahiti. Aye, aye. So he quickly got her out of the country. With Cheyenne back in Tahiti, this meant that under French jurisdiction, 
U.S. authorities could not subpoena her to testify. There you go. I mean, that's why he did it. She was charged in Tahiti with complicity in Dag's death, but those charges were eventually dropped. In June, so the very next month, she gave birth to a baby boy she named Tookie, who was immediately placed in postnatal detox because of Cheyenne's substance abuse. Oh my God, poor Tookie. I also love that name, Tookie. I do too. T-U-K-I. After sitting in jail for three months, Christian's bail was reduced to $2 million. And Marlon was able to post that by putting his home up as collateral. After the bail hearing, Marlon spoke to reporters outside and one of them asked, could anything have been done to prevent the May 16th tragedy? And Marlon replied, where is a feather dropped by a seagull on the heads of 2,000 persons going to land? There are too many unknowns. Shut the fuck up. Oh, what is, like, what is that? Is that wicked? What like an awesome <laughs> from a morning when it passes the sun. Remember, like in For Good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's very flowery with his language and very theatrical. That makes me suspicious. Yeah, he's he's doing a lot here. It's like you come up to me when I come over and you're like, hey, Kevin, how are you? And I'm like, is the morn a place where all of us can flourish? <laughs> and you're like, great, good, yes. I'm like, drink your fucking nice pumpkin coffee. Nice to see coffee. you, too. <laughs> For the next few months, prosecutors in the U.S. tried repeatedly and unsuccessfully to have Cheyenne return to the States so she could testify against Christian. Because she was like, oh, yeah, the, no, no shit, this was a murder. Right. During which time she intentionally overdosed on tranquilizers and antidepressants and ended up in a coma. She did recover. I was going to say, did she pass? She did recover, but then tried to hang herself with a dog leash. Oh, I feel so bad for her. Jesus. That's the thing. Yes, there are lots of tragedies in here. We're not trying to defend anyone. But at the same time, it's like, you kind of see the downward spiral. Yeah. Like, it's almost like these children of Marlon Brando's didn't stand a chance. No, and that's terrible. Like, that's really, really, really fucking terrible. Yeah. So usually when we're covering a case, I always right. try to put the victim first and no, like really course. focus on them. And in this case, technically, Dag Drolet is, is the, the victim. victim. But... I feel like Christian and Cheyenne are also, are also victims. victims. So that's yeah. why I'm kind of like giving you a lot about them. Anyway. No, I hear you. That's good. Thanks for doing that. In December of that year, 1990, after these two suicide attempts, a judge declared Cheyenne mentally disabled. And therefore, prosecutors ended their efforts to have her flown to L.A. to testify. The prosecution knew that without Cheyenne, their chances of getting a first-degree murder conviction were slim. Furthermore, that interview Christian had given the night of the shooting where he was saying, I did it because he hurt my sister, death is too good for this guy, that was obviously recorded because all of those interviews are always recorded. But the judge ruled it inadmissible as evidence because Detective Osti had misread Christian's Miranda rights. Son of a bitch. He failed to tell him that if he could not afford an attorney, one would be provided for him free of charge. Detective Osti admitted that he had not mentioned this because he assumed the Brandos had enough money to hire their own attorney, 
Which is exactly what they did. And they got the best one at the time, Robert Shapiro. I mean, yes, but also you can't in those situations skimp on rights. Right. It's actually surprising how often this happens. Are you serious? I Come feel on, like, people. I feel like in the past month, I've read about three cases where there was an issue with the reading of the Miranda rights. You think it's just a basic Wouldn't speech. Wouldn't that be like the first thing that you would want to bring up if you're arresting someone? Right. And I feel like that speech doesn't change. You'd think police would just have it memorized because they have to say it over and over. But apparently, like, things go awry, I guess. I want to be in that room where, like, they're just, for like an hour, all the police have to just keep saying it over (laughs) and over again. (laughs) They're just, like, memorizing it. Yeah. Rehearsing. The judge also wouldn't allow Cheyenne's statement she'd made to police to be entered into evidence where she said it wasn't an accident, it was a murder, unless she was there to testify herself. Hmm. And since that wasn't going to happen, with the prosecution's case in shambles, defense attorney Robert Shapiro pushed for plea negotiations. Prosecutor Steve Barshop agreed this was the best way for them to go. He said, quote, With Cheyenne, this is a murder, at least a triable murder. Without Cheyenne, we can't legally prove malice. And without being able to prove malice, this case is a provable manslaughter. In January 1991, Christian Brando, who had been out on bail since the previous August, pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter. He remained out on bail until his sentencing hearing at the end of February. I had to look this up because I was like, if you plead guilty... To killing someone, how are you out on bail? I mean, when you say, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Voluntary manslaughter. Mm -hmm. Murder. It's two different terms. Fine. (laughs) Just just to clarify that it is two different terms. But like, do we not see the correlation to those terms? So it's apparently up to the court to decide if you're taken into custody immediately or remain out until your sentencing hearing. I'm interested in voluntary manslaughter now. Like, I kind of want to know what What things... do you mean you're interested? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get any ideas, Kevin. No, but I'm just thinking, like, in what situations would... You know, because usually you hear involuntary manslaughter. Right. But voluntary manslaughter... That means that you didn't intend to kill the person... But that you were aware. Trying to hurt them? Not necessarily. It's that you were aware that what you were doing could lead to death. So if Christian walked in holding a gun to towards death. You know that that could. Oh, I see. That I see, I see. could result in okay. his death, even though that wasn't his intention. Whereas if it were murder, in this case, they were trying for first degree murder. That has to do with premeditation. Mm. So if it's premeditated. Got which, it. Oh, okay. That's, I mean, that feels like a fine line to walk on. Because, like, what if I'm walking into a room with, like, a heavy pan and I trip and it flies and hits Spencer in the face and he dies? Is that involuntary? That's involuntary. Okay. Because we wouldn't think that me tripping and a pan going to flying would be. Exactly. That's involuntary. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Spencer. Oh, my God. I'm kidding. I tripped officers. Well, now we know you've just you've just admitted it I'm here. I'm kidding. So, this and this is, is recorded, so this is going to be admissible. <laughs> just FYI. Wonderful. Take it. <laughs> During the time between the shooting and the sentencing hearing, Christian worked hard to get his life together, and I and I think this is probably part of why he was allowed to remain out on bail. Also, I'm sure the Brando name didn't didn't hurt. He attended AA meetings, he got work as a welder, and he accepted responsibility for his actions. 
The night before his sentencing hearing began, he gave an interview to the L.A. Times. He talked about going to court and said, quote, I've been coming through those doors since I was a kid, which is just really fucking sad because of all those custody battles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in and out of court so much. Mm -hmm. He went on to say to the L.A. Times, I'm nervous. I'm scared to death, but I'm not trying to get out of anything. I already said guilty. I did plead to a manslaughter. It's a tragedy, and I do feel bad. If I could give my life to have him come back, I'd do it. But there's nothing I can do. I have to live with this for the rest of my life. I wake up with it and go to sleep with it. But are people going to spit on me all the time? Can't I just go to jail? Is that okay? I have mixed feelings about that because I feel like, okay, well, you took a man's life. Like, fuck you. But also, I mean, my personal belief is he got carried away. He went in, he shot Dag just kind of on impulse. I don't think it was an accident, but I also don't think he took that second to think about what he was doing. He was just like acting on emotion. And given everything that has led to that point in his life, you do kind of feel, well, I, I, I'll I speak mean, for myself. I can see why. I can absolutely see why. But I just, I, you know, he killed somebody. Right. He murdered someone. Yep. And I'm sorry, but like you, you, you really fucked sorry. up. Like he really fucked up. Yeah. I feel bad for him, but I don't feel. What am I trying to say? I feel bad for what has happened to him in his life. Yes. I don't feel bad for him getting you know what he deserves. Exactly. Feel bad for the kid, not for the adult. Right. The first day of the sentencing hearing was the battle of the dueling psychological reports. The prosecution wanted the max sentence for manslaughter, which was 16 years. I know, doesn't feel like enough, but that was the max. And they really went hard on Christian's past, in particular a marriage he had when he was in his early 20s. To who? He was married to a woman named Mary McKenna for five years, and it was a rocky relationship. According to their divorce proceedings, they fought constantly, and he had threatened her with a gun. So the prosecution is trying to set up a pattern of violence. Mm -hmm. Mary McKenna testified at this sentencing hearing, saying that the things mentioned in the divorce proceedings were exaggerations. She said, quote, I was angry with Christian at the time. I was just trying to teach him a lesson. He was acting like a brat. So what? Like, did you just make up a bunch of abuse to try to fuck him over? Or are you covering for him now? And if so, why? Yeah, that's weird. When asked about the, quote, loaded rifle he'd been accused of threatening her with, she laughed and said, it was a little toy, a plastic gun left by a kid she'd babysat. Okay. (sighs) She had gotten a restraining order against Christian when going through the divorce. And when asked about that, she said she only did it because her attorney had advised her to. So she really downplayed all the troubles in their relationship, which unless she truly believed that Christian would not have intentionally killed someone, I'm not sure why she would do that. Well, yeah, I don't get, I don't understand. Like what's the, what's the motive here for her to do that? Not sure. But I will say something happens later in Christian's life that we'll get to. That we'll get to. Okay. That makes me think the things she accused him of during the divorce were true and maybe she was scared of him and didn't want to go against him at this trial. Oh, yeah. Maybe she was. She just didn't want to get involved. I mean, maybe you don't want to go against the Brandos. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, but that would be my guess. My guess. Sure. Even Mary McKenna's mom 
once Christian's mother-in-law said she'd known him since he was a little boy and was always very well behaved. So it's just like weird. Conflicting stories here. L.A. County Coroner Joseph Kogan performed the initial autopsy and testified that according to his findings, the victim, Dag Drolet, was shot from extremely close range while lying down. Oh, okay. Yep. But then there was that independent forensic pathologist, his name was Michael Baden, that Marlon Brando had hired. Right. He testified. Oh, he that, testified because yes. they didn't, he didn't release his findings. Correct. But he testified that, quote, gunshot residue tests suggest that the victim's hands were near or on top of the weapon and that the fatal wound indicates the gun was moving as it would in a struggle. He also said the path of the bullet shows the victim would have been seated, not lying down. So he's trying to set up this scenario where Dag had gotten up or sat up, and he says the hands were near or on top of the weapon. So that tells me they did not dust for fingerprints of that gun. No. Was there actually residue on his hands? That's interesting because, yeah, I never saw anything about that anywhere. However, homicide detective Andrew Monsu testified that he did not find anything in the room that would indicate a struggle. Monsu said, quote, Drolet's body was found reclining on the couch, apparently in the same position he was in when he was shot. A TV remote control was in his right hand. Tobacco, rolling papers, and a butane lighter were in his left mm-hmm. hand. Where was the bullet? Like, did it go into the couch? Or was it in him? They said it exited it his exited neck. It exited his neck. So there's just, there's a lot of unknowns here. Uh. And I also feel like it was 1990. I don't know, like, how thorough this investigation was. Also, it's a Brando. You're in fucking Marlon Brando's mansion. Mm-hmm. This sprawling estate mm-hmm. at the top of the Hollywood Hills. I just don't know how much of a factor that played into it. Sure. There are some unknowns. As Marlon said, there were too many unknowns. Then Christian psychiatrist Dr. Saul Fairstein took the stand. Mm-hmm. He testified that Christian suffered from chronic depression, which, yeah, he probably did. Mm. And that his substance abuse and difficult childhood led to a diminished mental capacity, which lessened his ability to form an intent to kill. He's basically just saying there's no way Christian meant to kill this guy. He stated that (sighs) nothing about Christian leads him to believe he is a threat to society. I would argue that the fact that he was stockpiling guns and then killed a man with one of those guns makes him a threat to society, but that's just me. Uh, no, I mean, 100%, Kate. This this psychiatrist seems like he's attached to the family. Well, he is. He was Christian psychiatrist. Right. No, that's what I'm, I mean. Like, And likely paid for by... Marlon. Yes. The next day, it was Marlon's turn on the stand. The courtroom was packed. <sighs> When asked to take the oath, like, raise your hand, he said, I will not swear on God because I do not believe in the conventional God, but I will swear on my children and my grandchildren. Who he doesn't really give a shit about. There were several journalists in the courtroom taking photos, cameras constantly clicking. It was kind of a, it was a media circus Circus. once again. And Marlon turned to the judge and said, will you ask these guys to shut up? He was then questioned for several hours by Robert Shapiro, and he was very emotional throughout his testimony. He's an actor. And Robert Shapiro was very gentle 
in his questioning. You can find clips of his testimony online and people that have watched it, because I was looking at the comments, a lot of them say he, he's giving a performance. It's hard to say. The video isn't the best quality. Well, and also he's a really good actor. True. And some moments do feel performative. Right. But I also think he did care for Dag. I think there was a part of him that cared for him. Mm. He starts off talking about himself because actors because tend to do that. Because of course you do. <laughs> he said, I led a wasted life. I chased a lot of women. Perhaps I failed as a father. I did the best I could. But uh, then he quickly turns the blame for Christian's difficult upbringing to Anna, Christian's mom. Well, I mean, she didn't help. She certainly didn't. But he liked to say how everything was her fault. Anna was not present at the hearing, and at that time, she and Christian had been estranged for a few years. Marlon testified that on that fateful night, and this is important, mm -hmm. Christian came into his room with a weird look on his face and said, quote, I killed Dag. And Marlon said, what are you talking about? Christian said, he's dead, Pop. I didn't mean to do it. He went for the gun, and it went off. Did this conversation take place? Because everyone could hear the gunshot, mm -hmm. presumably. Yeah. And ran towards the den. Right. I don't know. It's hard because Cheyenne says something later. I never know who to believe in this. That's the problem. Sometimes Marlon would barely whisper his responses. Other times he was yelling. At one point he gets angry and says, This is the Marlon Brando case. If Christian were black, Mexican, or poor, he wouldn't be in this courtroom. Everyone wants a piece of the pie. That is a quote from Marlon Brando. Then he turned directly to Dag's family, who are sitting in the courtroom, and spoke to them in their native French, saying, I cannot continue with the hate in your eyes. I'm sorry with my whole heart. Even though he refused to even talk to them when they came to Los Angeles. This is so disgusting, Kate. It's just, it feels so performative. I know I'm not even watching it, but mm -hmm. I can just imagine it. Like, boo, I don't like any of this. I'm not trying to say he wasn't being genuine, but it does feel like he knew how to play to the audience. I don't think he was being genuine at all. I'm just going to say it. Nothing about him is genuine. Like, from what you've told me about mm -hmm. how he treats people in his life, it's like garbage. And now yeah. he's up there like, oh, my poor babies and you poor people. It's like, shut up, dude. You're just trying to cover for yourself and make yourself look better because this is like a PR thing. And that's the thing. I wonder how this case would have gone had no one in it been famous. Right. How people would have acted, how the people involved would have acted. What was the like public consensus at the time? Was there a, what were tabloids saying? What were newspapers saying? It was mostly like Christian Brando's son kills. Okay, so it wasn't, know. it was just kind of focused. Okay, yeah. I see what you mean. I mean, I knew Marlon didn't kill anyone, but I think he's helping to cover it up. I agree. Allegedly. Allegedly. The next day, when it was Christian's turn to speak, he said, quote, if I could change places, I would. I'm prepared for the consequences. Well, it's interesting that he took the stand. I think that's just more of a perfunctory, do you have anything you'd like to say? Oh, kind of it thing. was a comment. It wasn't yeah. a question. Okay, because yeah. I was like, it's very rare that people who commit the crime take the stand. No, I think he just stood up and was like, my bad. I'm ready for the sentencing. 
The prosecution was hoping for the max of 16 years, like I said. The defense wanted the minimum, obviously, which I believe was three years. Judge Robert Thomas went for middle ground, sentencing Christian to 10 years. Okay. Six for the manslaughter charge and four for the use of a gun because it had just been written into California law the previous year that using a gun in the crime extends your sentence. Ha-ha. Which I didn't know about that. I like that. Christian said that once he served his sentence, he just wanted to live a life of anonymity that would include fishing trips, Dodgers games, and AA meetings. According to the LA Times. Did he get rid of all his guns? He was never allowed to own a gun after that. wonderful. According to the LA Times, while he was in prison at the California Men's Colony, which just sounds (laughs) weird. (laughs) That sounds like a gay bar or like a a bathhouse. It does. I'd go. In San Luis Obispo, Christian completed his high school equivalency degree and worked in a vocational education machine shop. I feel like he really was trying to pull it together. Cheyenne's mental health, on the other hand, Mm. continued to deteriorate. Unfortunately, at a time when she needed friends the most, hers began to pull away from her. Dag had a lot of friends on the island. He was deeply missed. And Cheyenne's friends were a little scared of her because it was the thing she said to her brother that led to Dag's death. Mm -hmm. Dag's loved ones said they never saw any signs of physical abuse against Cheyenne by Dag. And Detective Andrew Monsu stated there was no evidence Dag had ever physically abused her. So her friends became afraid of her. Like, what's she going to say next? Who's she going to accuse this time? Mm. Cheyenne was formally diagnosed with schizophrenia, and her friends said she had only been taking her medication off and on. Which you don't really want to fuck with really that. can't do that thing kind of stuff. She was in and out of drug rehab programs and psychiatric hospitals. Then three years after Dag's death, after failed treatment plans outside the U.S., Marlon had Cheyenne sent to a small psychiatric unit in Berkeley, California, near San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It was while she was in Berkeley that Peter Manso, author of Marlon Brando's unauthorized biography, interviewed her. Wow. Manso wrote of this meeting in the newspaper San Francisco Gate, or SF Gate as it's known. He spent several weeks getting to know her, and their interview lasted for three days. Whoa, that's a long time. Yeah. She told him that at that point, Uh she and Marlon were no longer in communication. She said he didn't even send her a birthday card. Jesus fucking Christ. Cheyenne said, so this is interesting. Cheyenne said that it wasn't Christian she had talked to about Dag during that Los Angeles trip in 1990. It was Marlon in an attempt to get his attention. She said, quote, My father was responsible for my fiancé's death. I think that he probably talked about Dag and me to Christian early on the day of Dag's death. And Christian is weak and crazy, and his greatest joy in life, his nirvana is to please Marlon Brando. Oh, yikes. Wait. Okay, so let's just take a a step back here. Yes, yes. So she said Mm -hmm. that she was telling those stories to get Marlon's attention. She said she told them to Marlon. She told them to Marlon, not to Christian. Correct. That's what she's telling Peter Manso. And so Marlon is relaying that to Christian? That is Cheyenne's claim. Take it back to the day of the murder Mm -hmm. or the time of the murder. Mm -hmm. Wasn't Cheyenne supposedly telling Christian at that time? Yes. So she is claiming in this interview with Peter Manso that 
Marlon must have said something to Christian earlier that day. And then supposedly it built up in Christian to where that evening he went in and shot Dag. Right. She is placing full blame on Marlon. On Marlon. At this point. I See, I don't buy it. Well, you shouldn't because unfortunately Cheyenne is full of shit. I mean, of course she is. Like, of course she would. But she wants his attention so fucking badly and cannot get it and will do anything. My next sentence is, I don't know how much we can believe Cheyenne's statements, but I'm just giving them to you as they were reported. Okay. She goes on to tell Peter Manso, quote, I was in the kitchen when I heard a shot. It was very loud. I told myself, please, I hope this is not happening. I was so frightened. She said that's when Christian walked into the kitchen and said, that's it. I killed him. This contradicts what Marlon Brando said on the stand. He said Christian went to him and said, Pop, Dag's dead. I didn't mean to do it. Christian just walked around the entire house and was like, I killed someone. Went Mm -hmm. outside to strangers. I just shot some guy. So, yes, there are... A lot of stories flying around among the brand. What about the mom? What did um We never hear from her. To... At least it's never reported in the papers of what she might have said. Ugh, of course not. Cheyenne would later admit that the story of abuse was false. Motherfucker. Does she know that she killed her husband? Yes. The things that she said mm-hmm. led to the death. Yes, and that is something that never left her good it shouldn't we're going to talk about an interview christian does later in his life that supports the story the original one that she told him at that dinner at musso and frank's right that guy shouldn't have talked to her i'm sorry like she's not reliable she makes up stories and shit i'm so sorry to what's happened to her and that she has to suffer through mental illness but at the same time you're fucking with people's lives and you got somebody killed Yes. Of course, it's not other people's actions that you can control, so I understand that. But something that you said for attention yes, led someone else to commit murder. Sorry, voluntary manslaughter. You mentioned, you know, she shouldn't have talked to Peter Mann, so he's just reiterating to this newspaper, the San Francisco Gate, what Cheyenne had told him. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I'm not blaming him. I'm just, you know. Right. No, I I understand. I know about your feelings of Cheyenne. We're going to talk a little bit more about her. uh, And we'll see that she is not mentally in a healthy place She hasn't been for a long time. So when she moved back to Tahiti, had the baby, the baby originally... Tookie originally Tookie. was in the care of the Drolets. Uh, eventually, Cheyenne's mother, Tarita, won custody, which Good. Cheyenne did not enjoy. Uh, what's she going to do now? In the fall of 1994, so remember, she's still at Berkeley at mm-hmm. this psychiatric at hospital. Mm-hmm. Cheyenne announced she had a new boyfriend and would be leaving the hospital in Berkeley. This prompted Marlon to reestablish contact with her. Why? He wanted to meet this guy. Mm. And when he did, he determined this new boyfriend was only trying to get a piece of the Brando fortune. So he agreed to buy Cheyenne a ticket back to Tahiti, something she'd been hoping for for more than a year. (sighs) Tookie remained in custody with Cheyenne's mom, even though Cheyenne was now back, Mm -hmm. which pissed Cheyenne off. She stopped taking her medication and she started using drugs again. 
She behaved erratically. It was reported that one day she stood in the middle of the island's busiest intersection and began directing traffic. This is a woman who's clearly in need of help, and she's not getting it. She's not getting the help she needs. And that's this is the real tragedy of this story. A few months after that, she nearly overdosed on pills again and ended up in the hospital. Doctors said she had suffered brain damage, and upon releasing her, they said she would need constant supervision. Sometime in March of 1995, Cheyenne petitioned to have guardianship of her son returned to her, but her mom's lawyer and the judge believed that she was still mentally incompetent. Mm -hmm. And at this time, she's living with her mom, so I do believe she got to spend time with Tookie and see him, but she did not officially have custody of him. Guardianship, right. According to some people on the island, Marlon then arranged for her to return to California and go back into the hospital. But she didn't make it to California. April 16th rolls around. It's Easter Sunday. Cheyenne's mom, Teresa, left the house to go to church, presumably taking Tookie with her. And Cheyenne's brother, Tehotu, was to watch over his sister. Mm-hmm. He was out of cigarettes. So he was like, Cheyenne, I'm just going to run out for a few minutes to get some cigs. I'll be right back. Well... Cheyenne used this opportunity of having the house to herself to go into her bedroom, tie a phone cord to one of the beams on her ceiling, and hang herself with it. She had completed suicide. When Tehotu arrived back at the house just a few minutes later, he went to check on his sister and found her hanging in her bedroom. Oh my god. He cut her down and laid her on the bed and called emergency services, but they couldn't save her. She was 25. Jesus Christ. Cheyenne's mother and Dag's mother led the funeral procession together. Mm -hmm. They had been estranged ever since Dag's death. Mm -hmm. Now they were both in mourning, united, but under the worst circumstances. Cheyenne was buried in the Drolet family crypt, which I found surprising given the circumstances surrounding Dag's death. I wouldn't think the family would want her in there. I wouldn't either. And on Crime Library, which gives a lot of information about this case, I read that it was Marlon Brando that requested she be buried there and that the Drolets agreed. I couldn't find that anywhere else. I doubt that. I mean, they don't trust him. I mean, why would they trust him? Or why would they listen to him? Right, but she is buried there. I mean, they they held a service there. I wonder what the story, the real story is behind that. All of Tahiti was in mourning. One person said it was as if a member of the Tahitian royal family was being buried. Because remember, the Brandos are highly respected in Tahiti. I think a lot of people connected with the family. She was from this famous prominent family. She'd been dating the son of a prominent family. Everyone knew them. Thousands of people gathered at the cemetery. But two people who were notably absent were Christian Brando, because he was still behind bars, Mm -hmm. and their father Marlon. (sighs) He was reportedly grief-stricken and felt too ill to make the trip. Yeah, right. Bullshit. I call bullshit. I do think he just was at a very low point and very depressed and did not want to face it. I really don't care. Okay. Start showing up, dude. It's messy. As for Christian, he was paroled the following year in 1996, followed by three years of probation after serving just five years of his 10-year sentence. Yeah. That sounds about right. Immediately upon his release, Marlon Brando sent him away to Washington <laughs> State. Okay, I love that you kind of just, you just kind of, 
what did I do? You said Marlon Brando. Okay, I thought that's what came out of my mouth, but I was like, I'm just gonna go with it. <laughs> Kate did a very like subtle read. Mar- <laughs> so Marlon Brando. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it like that, but it, but we're gonna keep it. I love it. I think you should only say it that way. He really likes to control where his adult children live. Apparently, amazing. Whether it's a mental institution or prison. Joanne Corrales, whose family Christian had stayed with before, sponsored him while he was on probation. It seemed like he dealt with a lot of trauma following the shooting and his time behind bars, and it wasn't long before he began using drugs and alcohol again. And Joanne Corrales, like, unfortunately, Christian was kind of too far gone for her to pull him back. According to Deborah Presley, someone Christian had known for several years who he would later go on to marry. Oh, shit. Christian had always drank heavily, smoked pot, and snorted cocaine, but during the six years he lived in Washington after his release, he became addicted to crystal meth. Oh, okay, that's a step in the very in a bad direction. And this this is just according to his ex wife, Deborah. Okay. He had several run-ins with the law while in Washington. Mm -hmm. In 2000, he was charged with drunk driving but then failed to show up for court. So he was fined $800 and spent two days in jail for that. Later that same year, three men beat him up in his home and he ended up in the hospital with a broken jawbone. Jesus. In 2001, police officer Brad Gillespie answered an emergency call at a home not belonging to Christian and found him under the kitchen table there, surrounded by chairs and screaming that a monster was after him. Oh, oof. Officer Gillespie said, quote, I've dealt several times with Christian Brando. He's very prevalent on the drug scene. Mm. The following year, 2002, Christian found himself in the middle of another high-profile murder case, that of Bonnie Lee Bakley. Oh, my God, I know that one. She was the wife of Robert Blake, who was murdered one night in 2001 while sitting in Robert Blake's car. We're going to cover her case in depth, but just to give you a summary of Christian's role, Bonnie reportedly began contacting Christian while he was in prison. What? The two didn't know each other, but she liked celebrity Mm. and liked reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. She began a flirtation, the old-fashioned way. By sending him nudes. They met once he was paroled and began a relationship. Then Bonnie met Robert Blake. So she was seeing both men at the same time. She got pregnant and thought the baby was Christian's. She even named her Christian Shannon Brando after him. But a paternity test later proved Robert Blake was the father. So she renamed the baby Rose Lenore Sophia Blake. She was like, "Mm, probably shouldn't name him after that other guy. After she was killed, Robert Blake was charged with her murder in 2002, and while he was in jail awaiting trial, his defense lawyer released a recorded phone call between Christian and Bonnie, because apparently she recorded all of her phone calls, where Christian says to her, quote, you're lucky somebody ain't out there to put a bullet in your head. Uh. At Robert Blake's civil trial in 2005, Christian confirmed that was his voice on the tape, but took the Fifth Amendment and refused to answer any questions. Fair. Investigators did clear him mm-hmm. of any involvement, but her case officially remains unsolved. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we'll go into we'll a deep dive. Okay. Yeah. After Marlon Brando's death in 2004, Christian moved back to Los Angeles and into his father's home. 
and married Deborah Presley later that year. The two of them lived in the house until the executors of Marlin's estate kicked them out. There was a lot of controversy regarding Marlin's estate after his death. Mm -hmm. To summarize, two weeks before he passed, when it's believed by many he was suffering from dementia, his will was modified. That always raises questions. Oh, red and flags. red flags. The executors on the will, Joanne Corrales, his longtime business manager mm-hmm. and guardian to Christian for so many years, and Alice Marchak, a woman considered Brando's most trusted friend for more than 50 years, were replaced. The new executors were film executive Mike Matavoy, Matavoy's brother-in-law accountant named Larry Dressler, who Brando had never met, and Avra Douglas, who was a friend of one of Brando's many kids. The whole thing with the will is a story within itself. Mm-hmm. Suffice to say, Christian and Deborah were getting kicked out of the house. According to Deborah, Christian was pissed and repeatedly threatened to kill Mike Matavoy. Oh my God. Deborah and Christian were married only a few months, like three months, yeah. divorcing in early 2005 when Deborah ended up in the hospital with injuries she claimed he caused. Authorities charged him with spousal abuse, to which he pleaded no contest. He was placed on three years probation, ordered to enter rehab, as well as a spousal abuse prevention program. Now homeless and single. Oh, my God. Christian quickly moved on and in with a woman named Donna Guion. He moved into her small one-bedroom apartment off Sunset Boulevard It's reported they had a very tumultuous relationship and argued constantly. Mm -hmm. But Christian didn't know where else to go because he had no money and no steady job. Later that year, his ex-wife, Deborah, along with her daughter, so once his stepdaughter, Mm -hmm. filed a lawsuit against Christian for violation of their civil rights, assault, domestic violence, battery, and emotional distress. According to the lawsuit, Christian repeatedly struck Deborah and threatened to kill her in front of her daughter. He allegedly raped her, raped Deborah, and also made threatening remarks to the daughter. Christian countersued, alleging that Deborah had broken into his home and beaten him because he wanted to annul their marriage shortly after the wedding. They settled their suits against each other in 2007. Oh my God, that's insane. It's a lot. But before their divorce in 2005, Deborah had called up Champ Clark, a reporter for People Magazine, asking if he would like to run an exclusive story on her wedding to Christian Brando. This was clearly a publicity grab that I think she talked Christian into, perhaps Mm -hmm. with the hope it would have a financial benefit, I'm guessing. So while Clark was talking to her, he could hear the sound of a harmonica, 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 That word doesn't want to come out. (laughs) The sound of a harmonica playing in the background. And he said, is that Christian? I'd love to get a quote from him. So Christian gets on the phone, which was the beginning of a friendship that lasted until Christian's death. When Clark told him he wanted to write a story about him, Christian said, me? You want to write about me? Nobody has ever wanted to tell my story. So Clark met with Christian on several occasions, including after his split from Deborah and once he was in the relationship with Donna Guion. Mm -hmm. He said the most poignant thing Christian ever told him was after he was released from prison, he invited both his parents to dinner. He said, quote, 
Not once in my entire life had I ever sat down at the dinner table with the two of them together as a family. And I got this crazy idea into my head that I could make that happen, which is really sad. That is really sad. Jeez. Not only did Marlon and Anna both refuse the invitation, they each accused him of being high on drugs. (sighs) He just wanted to have a family dinner. God. Christian told Clark that Cheyenne had told him about DAG, and this contradicts what Cheyenne had said, that they had talked that night at the dinner. Mm-hmm. So I believe Christian here. I think Cheyenne was just not in, a, not in the right mind. Right. right. Christian told Clark, there's not a single day that goes by where I don't think of Dag Drolet and wish that I could take it all back. I believe him there. I think he absolutely regrets all of that. Based on these interviews between Clark and Christian, Champ Clark went on to write a play about him and his relationship with his father titled Wild Son, The Testimony of Christian Brando. It premiered in 2019 at the Santa Monica Playhouse, and according to RogerEbert.com, it's riveting. Several people that knew Christian, including his attorney Robert Shapiro, went to see it, and they all approved. It sounds like it was, like, really good. On January 11th, 2008, Donna Guion walked into the apartment she shared with Christian and found him on the floor, gasping for air and barely conscious. He was taken to Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital, where he fell into a coma. He was diagnosed with double pneumonia and kept alive on a respirator until January 26, 2008, when he was taken off life support. During the two weeks he was in a coma, all the key players from his past stood around his bedside and fought. This included his estranged mother, Anna Koshvi, his ex-wives, some of his half-siblings, his girlfriend, Donna Guion, his former guardian, Joanne Corrales, the executors of Marlon's estate, and several of Marlon's aides. They argued about everything whether Christian should have a memorial service or not, whether he should be cremated or buried, what clothes his body should be dressed in, and whether or not an autopsy should be performed. Christian's mother, Anna, and his ex-wife, Deborah, didn't understand, nor do I, how he could have gotten so sick with pneumonia to the point where he was gasping for air on the floor without being taken to the hospital. He lived with his girlfriend. You're going to tell me she didn't notice he was sick? Mm-hmm. It's giving... Brittany Murphy, Simon Monjack vibes. Oh, Kate. The tabloids reported that it was his years of substance abuse that killed him, which I'm sure that contributed. I'm I'm sure that was part of it. I'm sure his immune system was compromised and that made it hard for him to fight off infection. Donna Guion and the Brando Estates executors opposed an autopsy. Weird. Why? They said, well, the doctors said that it's double pneumonia. That's double pneumonia. And, you know, that's that. They were like, why should we feel it's anything different than what the doctor said? But after hearing Anna and Deborah's concerns, the L.A. County coroner decided to go ahead and perform one. Oh, good. The results were inconclusive. Wow. Christian Brando died at the age of 49 in a public hospital with no will, no health insurance, and little money. The estate's executors refused to pay for the burial which left the cost to Anna, Christian's next of kin. She had no money and was living in a trailer park at the time, surviving on social security checks, so she sold her story to the tabloids to pay for Christian's burial. Immediately upon his death, the lawsuits started flying because everyone wanted money. 
It's unclear how much money Christian should have gotten from Marlon's estate, if any, because he left some of the kids out of the will. Christian died with practically nothing, but that didn't stop people from trying to get a piece because it's possible he stood to receive millions that just hadn't been settled yet. Because you have residuals from his movies. You've right, got right. merchandise. Right. And those things could make profits for years and years and years to come. So who knows how much he should have gotten. It could have been a lot. His ex-wife, Deborah, and his father's maid and one-time lover, Angela Borlaza, filed a lawsuit alleging that the modification in Marlon Brando's will had been forged. Deborah said she was the beneficiary of Christian's portion of the Brando estate, stating Christian had transferred his rights as beneficiary when they settled their civil suit against each other in 2007. Her claim was found to be without merit. Donna Keon, his girlfriend at the time of his death, filed a suit against Anna Kashvi asking that all assets of his estate be held in trust for her. She alleged breach of contract by Christian because he did not leave a will or trust in her favor. She claimed they were planning on getting married and that he had promised her all of his assets in the event of his death. Sure. It's unclear what happened with that lawsuit. I tried to find any follow-up articles. I could not. Uh, we do know that the executors remained the executors, those new people. It's a lot. Money makes everything messy. Moral of the story don't become famous, don't associate with famous people, don't do murder, but do make a will and make sure that sucker is airtight. Mm. And in part one, I said, you know, this whole thing is bad. Everything's bad. It really is. <laughs> with the exception of Tookie. Okay. Are you going to say one good thing finally? I'm going to say one good thing. Okay. Finally. I'm so happy. <laughs> Tookie managed to do all right. Not just all right, but okay. like fucking thrive. Yes, Tookie. Like his mom, he got into modeling okay. and has been very successful. <gasps> Good for him. He was once the face of Versace. Oh my God. Okay. That's huge. Yeah. So he's doing well. Okay. He's super hot. Good. You can look him up. Great. I will. And that is a fraction of the wild lives of the Brandos. Oh my God. And the unfortunate and tragic death of Dag Drolet. Everybody got failed here. It's so sad on so it's many levels. So sad. And then the greed that comes in at the end. Yeah. And these women just sound like they were using him to get at money. It does. Yeah. Oh, Kate. I still don't understand how a woman lets her boyfriend get so sick. I don't know, but it sounds the way we're talking now, it sounds like it was on purpose. It feels that way, right? It feels that way. I mean, allegedly, alleged, whatever, whatever. But maybe I could be completely wrong, but I don't think you just get pneumonia one day. And Oh, no, you can. Well, no, I know, but like that bad all of a sudden. Oh, quick, no, that's, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, it, that would have. To where you're gasping for air. Deteriorate. Like it wouldn't have been like, yeah, boom, I got pneumonia, now I can't breathe. Yeah. yeah. And the only thing is, I feel like if it was intentional on her part to not, get him care or make mm -hmm. sure he was like taking care of himself then she would have wanted to make sure that he had a will yeah that's why i'm like maybe she just wasn't also super mentally i mean healthy. was she on drugs too i don't know if she was on drugs i do know she did not have a steady job okay neither of them had money okay 
It's really, it's really sad. sad on all levels, except uh, for Tookie, who is a successful model. Well, good for Tookie. Fuck everybody else. Yep. But don't fuck you guys, because you guys are awesome, and we love oh, you. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. And you can share that uh, love on Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, or YouTube at... Horrorwood Podcast. Or you can send us an email at... Horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're liking what you're hearing and you want to hear more and you want to hear bonus episodes, you can become a Patreon subscriber at... Patreon.com slash Horrorwood podcast thanks everybody stay spooky get a coffee enjoy your day be nice to people don't, don't do, do murder don't do murder don't be famous don't be famous make a will just enjoy your day stay quiet <laughs> don't talk to anyone don't talk don't to look anyone. At anyone in the eye <laughs> just put your music on and walk forward but eyes down don't put music on if you are alone and outside because people can come up and grab you don't do that yes stay in well populated areas even then someone could grab you so just make sure you're staying alert stay alert don't hang out with liars liars suck but you might even know they're a liar i know but if they come up to you and they're talking like Oh, look, grandiose speech. <laughs> if some stranger comes up to me and goes, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to run the other way. <laughs> <laughs>